Welcome to This Much I Learn, Marketing Week's monthly podcast in which we invite the great and good in marketing and beyond to impart their wisdom and perspective on marketing matters. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week, and I am your host for this episode. Our guests today are Katie McAllister and Toby Horry, CMO and Group Brand and Contact Director at TUI, respectively, and crucially, two of the key members of Marketing Week's Team of the Year at the recent Marketing Week Awards. And it's what led to that accolade that is the subject of the podcast, what makes for an award-winning team? And how did adversity help accelerate the performance of TUI's 100-strong marketing team, as well as its brand and business? Just two of the questions to be answered today. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Hi. Hello. And congratulations on a well-deserved win. Now, Katie, let me begin with you. Uh, I, I think I used the, well, I did use the word adversity in my introduction. Uh, let me take you back a couple of years and set, and ask you to set the scene of where your success was born. Uh, please do paint a picture of the impact of the pandemic on TUI's business and the category and specifically on your marketing plans. So I think COVID was was pretty harrowing for all of us. And of course, all industries and businesses were affected slightly differently um, by the pandemic. But I think it is fair to say that travel was particularly challenging during COVID. Um, I think um, we had an 18-month period where we actually only had 240 days um, in which customers could travel abroad. And then for a business that usually takes somewhere between 6 and 7 million people on holiday, that's not so many days in that 18-month period. And, of course, we had a backdrop of sort of constantly changing entry requirements to countries and things like that. And there was a very, very real feeling in the organisation and in all travel businesses, I think, around can we even survive through this pandemic? So that was sort of the backdrop, I think, for colleagues and also for customers through things. So we had, yeah, it was a pretty challenging time and we had a, a couple of things that we needed to handle. So first of all, we needed to deal with a whole load of customers who had booked their holidays and didn't know whether or not they were going to be able to go on them or not. So we had to either refund them or we had to help them to move their holidays. And the scale of that was such that at one point um, we had about one and a half million customers calling us per day. I mean, in a normal year, we have about five million people call us in an average month. So you can get the kind of size and scale of that challenge. So keeping our existing customers up to speed with what was going on and helping them to manage their holidays was sort of one number one priority. The second thing was um, as travel opened and it did that sometimes surprisingly um, and also on a destination by destination basis, we had to ensure that customers felt safe to travel and had confidence to travel when travel was open. So that was job number two. And we had to keep our colleagues motivated through all of that as well. And then importantly, I guess, you know, that great phrase, never waste a good crisis. What we had to establish was, you know, we had a real strong um, strategy pre-pandemic around growth and around um, broadening our business beyond just package holidays. So what we also had to do through all of this was work out, well, actually, how will we emerge from this stronger with a different repositioned TUI at the end of all of that? Thanks for that. And to set the scene of what was a very, I think I think you were uh, underselling it, your phrase, pretty challenging. It sounds incredibly challenging, as it was for all businesses, but particularly the travel category, as you described. 
Now, you just use the uh, expression, never waste a good crisis. Now, it's pretty difficult, as I'm sure you'll attest, getting buy-in for uh, marketing plans and marketing strategy and budget at the best of times. But when your revenue is essentially, or much of your revenue is has dried up as a result of this pretty extreme circumstance, it's acutely challenging, shall we say, again, to uh, undersell the scale. So you wanted to emerge stronger. How did you go? Because you didn't batten down the hatches here. You survive and and indeed look to thrive uh, to use an expression that I've heard you talk about before yeah so in a, in a marketing context we had two activities happening at the same time so um, we had this immediate challenge of actually how do we inspire customers about travel because fundamentally that's what we need to do as travel businesses and so how do we inspire how do we inspire customers to travel? But secondly, how do we give them confidence to travel? So we needed, we didn't, we didn't batten down the hatches. We still spent on advertising in all channels. We didn't just stick to our own channels. We kind of ran, I think, TV and above the line pretty much the whole way through. And we really gauged the sentiment and mood of the nation in regards to that. So as an example, when it was safe to travel, we, tra- we ran travel with confidence campaigns, We adapted our proposition to make sure that testing was either free or included in our either free or included at a very low cost um, in our holidays, as an example, because that was a real barrier to traveling. And then when we couldn't travel, we did pieces of work that were inspirational. So as an example, we we ran a campaign, an award winning campaign, um, which is called Holidays from Home, whereby um, we got a whole load of people, some of our colleagues, in fact, as well, to recreate their holiday experiences from their homes and we made it into an ad and we ran that we did a partnership with Ant and Deck Saturday Night Takeaway and we ran that through the ad breaks of that we were in lockdown at the time and that was really summed up the mood of the nation which was we all want to go somewhere but we can't and we're so desperate to go away that we're all kind of recreating these holiday experiences in our homes so we did a number of different things from inspiration right through to very functional actually you know travel with confidence these are the things we're doing to make it safe for you and this is how we've adapted how we're structuring holidays to make sure that you can travel safely as well it's very much that sort of long and short term piece i mean i know people like mark ritson talk about two-speed marketing and it did very much feel like that at times we were um having to communicate usually forget these things don't you remember the traffic light system i'd already forgotten but the traffic light system it's sort of changing every two minutes so you'd have sort of one speed of marketing which was literally where can we take people where can't we take people and, and having communications that allow that communicate that whilst always having that long-term view of at some point this is going to come to an end and we need to be as fit and as best placed as possible for when that happens so it did mean that on some days you would have you know one meeting at nine o'clock which was about something that was going to happen tomorrow and then a meeting at 10 o'clock was something that was going to happen in 18 months time that became quite uh, sort of challenging but I suppose also quite exciting and invigorating it meant that we didn't just get bogged down in the here and now we had that sort of long-term vision of what we were trying to achieve. How did you convince your senior stakeholders to keep pushing forward despite the challenges that you faced? We have a pretty clear line of sight in our organisation around marketing effectiveness so we have a pretty clear view in how all of our communication drives bottom line in terms of short-term and also a set of long-term brand metrics as well. 
short term being like bums on seats of planes fundamentally and long term being some of the brand metrics around consideration and preference and buzz and things like that, as well as awareness. We have a very clear short term view of that and we have a senior team that's very bought into what we need to do in the long term. And I think that so the short term part of it was, was relatively straightforward and it was very clear we had a marketing job to do because we had to communicate all of this complication to customers, otherwise no one was going to travel, right? I mean, we had, for example, on the short-term piece, a part of our website, our COVID hub, that was actually, um, you know, we got commended by the foreign office because sometimes they would go to our website to go and look at what the entry requirements were to countries because we had it down pat and we had an entire team looking at that, for example. But I think the longer-term piece, which kind of brings us on to how we emerged from the pandemic was really clear on our strategy around we have a strong really strong brand you know it's our, probably our biggest asset we have as an organization and we also have a strategy to grow and to share our vast portfolio of products and um, beyond sun and beach with customers and so with that being really clear it was evident that as well as doing the short-term piece of work we needed to think about the future we needed to invest in the future and we needed to kind of build out what is TUI for the future through a new brand platform as well. And I think also, you know, even at a senior level, we needed to find a new sense of purpose through COVID. Uh, you know, we do this, I always say, you know, the great thing about working for TUI, you've got this real North Star around we do this amazing thing, which is we give people, you know, the best one or two weeks of the year. And during the course of the pandemic, it was hard to remember that. It's easy when you're taking people on holiday in the thousands every week. But, you know, in the darkest days of the pandemic when no one was travelling, that was our North Star, really, was we do this fantastic thing. And at some point, we'll do that again in a normal way. We all kind of needed that North Star and needed to think about how we brought that purpose to life again once we got through the pandemic. So, Toby, how did that uh, purpose come to life and how did it align with business strategy? So very clearly, um, and this was the case before COVID, but I think maybe COVID gave us the opportunity to really consider it properly. One of our biggest goals is to broaden the appeal of TUI to bring new customers into the brand. And we do have a you know, huge suite of products, but a lot of people don't necessarily know about them. So it was about communicating that. So when it came to actually creating the purpose, we did that internally. We felt, you know, partly because of you know, pressures on resource and budget at the time, and partly because we have a really excellent strategy team, we hunkered down and actually developed that, that brand purpose ourselves. We felt that that was a way in which we could articulate communications that all added up to this overarching point about creating the moments that make life richer, but could span a huge you know, subsection of customers and also a huge subsection of products. So that was kind of the fundamentals of, of how that brand purpose linked to the brand strategy. Then it was a case of then turning that into communications and identity. We ran uh, a global pitch um, completely remotely, of course. We never physically met anyone, which was interesting, and appointed Leo Burnett as our global agency. And part of the reason that we, uh, we went with them is that they very clearly translated this brand purpose into something that could be customer facing uh, with the live happy line. And they demonstrated how it could work at a master brand level, how it could work if we were trying to communicate a specific product, whether it be something like Tui Blue or River Cruises or Cruise. And then they also demonstrated how that could work if you were then very much in sort of offer, you know, you're trying to sell, you know, Black Friday or, or turn of year when we have a lot of offers in the market. So I think hopefully through that, you can see how that sort of overarching business need translated into the brand purpose, then translated 
translated into the um, into the, the advertising. And then sitting alongside that was the brand identity piece, which was very much just a sort of modernization of the brand to make sure we were sort of fit for the digital world in which we now live. Um, so hopefully that explains how it all came together. We would generally make an ad which was broadly mm. Southern Beach, but of course, um, you know, someone having a fantastic holiday um, on something which very much looked like a package holiday. But actually, as we move beyond that, we need something really flexible, which would be consistent. And um, so it would all ladder up to two million to that consideration metric and ultimately widen the funnel of customers, but would do a different job for us. That's effectively the role of the World Happy yeah. platform and campaign. I think one other thing that we talk about right from the beginning was trying to give TUI a purpose 365 days of the year, not just seven or 14, which is clearly easier said than done when actually that seven or 14 is where the bulk of the contact comes. And this new brand purpose has then facilitated some thinking, which maybe we wouldn't have got to before about well, what are the ways in which we can have that role throughout the year. So one really good example is we've done a partnership with Photobox, where everyone that goes on a two-week holiday gets sent a code and they get a free photo book so to collect all their memories and moments when they get back and then, then hopefully sits on their you know, their coffee table or their, their sideboard for, for the rest of the year. So it's things like that. It's about having that brand purpose that can broaden your thinking and broaden what you might become as a brand for people in the real world. Internally, how did you make it meaningful for the hundreds and hundreds of people who work for TUI? We established a new kind of purpose, which was TUI creates the moments that make life richer. And it was all about the fact that travel is the only thing that you can do, which really you spend money on it and it actually enriches you. That's exactly what we do. We give people those moments and those moments are everything from the moment you book the holiday and you feel so happy to, you know, you're on the beach and if you look at your Instagram or your social media, it's all full of these like fantastic holiday moments and you remember them and they, they make you richer. Maybe you learn a new skill on holiday or you decide you're going to go home and cook a Greek souvlaki because you ate it on your holiday and it was your favourite dinner. Or you know, maybe you learned to ski on your holiday or you learned to paddleboard. You know, maybe you propose to someone on holiday or some people get married on holiday. Like there's all of this enrichment and happiness that comes from holidays which is really real and really human. It's, I don't want to sound like we, you know, it was an easy job, but it is quite easy to engage our organisation around that. And of course, the live happy part of that came out of that purpose of what we do is deliver that enrichment. And so internally, we brought that to life in the way that you would imagine by describing that story, really. Um, and also importantly, helping colleagues to understand their role in delivering that purpose, because every single person in the organisation helps to bring that richness into people's lives so really it was about storytelling in the first instance before we then had the great assets that then brought it to life you know in real life in 3d so that people could see it as uh, you quite rightly and, uh, and very succinctly uh, put at the beginning of the conversation it was a particularly challenging time not only for you but the category as a whole and to call back to something toby said it was i remember at moments, there was an excitement and an exhilaration that came from having to do things differently and dismantling everything that you that you knew uh, because you had to and were forced to think and act and behave differently often. But it was also an unsettling time and uncertainty to breed that kind of sense of anxiety among staff. I mean, how did you cope with that from a team perspective? How did you make sure that the communication was there and everybody was pointing in the right direction? 
I mean, I think, and it's kind of really obvious, we almost just had to over-communicate. So in the marketing team, right from the beginning, put in a daily catch-up at nine o'clock. And, you know, sometimes that would be really just to check in and see how people were. You know, we wouldn't really talk about work at all. But as you say, in that sort of unsettling early period, you know, it felt like it was more important than ever to check in on people and check how they were feeling. I mean, we actually had um, significant numbers of the people who were repurposed initially. So, you know, for example, I did a, remember doing a shift at Stansted Airport one night in the height of the, the early days as, you know, seeing people off an aircraft and, and, and directing them to coaches to get them back to where they originated. And also we had a lot of people who worked on social media customer service, which is clearly not the job they'd ever done before, but it was very much all hands to the pump. So I think because of that, it felt like over communicating was the right thing to do, having those frequent check-ins. And that really sort of came throughout the business. So whether it be sort of Andrew, in the, the, the UK managing director, or Fritz, who's the CEO at the time, I think our sort of levels of communication really ramped up. So people didn't feel that they were in the dark. Um, and I think there was also a, a degree of honesty. You know, we weren't trying to, trying, to, trying to sugarcoat and say, oh, everything's fantastic. But at the same time, I think having this, this level of communication meant that we were people did feel that they were kept in the loop didn't feel they were being sort of left out of things. And actually, because of that, were able to respond and be agile and to respond to things that were going on in the news, etc. So, and I think that's one of the things that we've actually kept on is that that level of communication, maybe not quite to the same frequency, but certainly in my team, you know, we have um, three weekly check-ins at nine o'clock. And again, it's sometimes that's just to see how your weekend was and check in on people and check they're doing okay. So I think communication was absolutely the key. And in terms of supporting uh, staff, at that moment, and indeed, out of uh, out of the the worst anyway of the uh, pandemic. Talk to me about how you did provide that support network for the marketing team. So I think Toby's talked through some of the things that happened in team um, and in in smaller team level, so kind of line manager level and all of that kind of thing, and that was cascaded right from the very top of the organisation. So large broadcast messages, and then smaller communication right sort of down the line another thing which we started to look at was our approach to well-being um and you know i think everyone can relate to the fact it's teams became quite overwhelming to work in diaries were filled up from you know morning till night so we did a few simple things and I think, you know, we forget that when you when we were when we're in an office environment and you want to organise a quick catch-up, you kind of check in with everyone to make sure a quick catch-up is all right. And of course, in this virtual world, people just stick in a quick catch-up and everyone feels they've got to go to it because no one checked in if the catch-up's all right. I think diaries got filled up and it was it was quite overwhelming. So we did a couple of things and we worked with a business called Let's Reset. Um, who helped us to look at well-being overall. And then we put in place some really simple things. So, for example, we have 12 to 1, which is kind of sacred in terms of to no meeting hour across the organisation as far as possible. We allow people to add, we encourage people to add to their um, email sign-offs the hours that they worked and also an expectation that people don't have to reply and respond to emails and things like that outside of their working hours so that we could all um, check in on that. And then we also launched something called the power of how are you? That was how it manifests itself is at the start of every team meeting, just having a check-in around the table of, so I start all my team meetings and we just have five or 10 minutes on how was everyone's weekend? How are we all feeling? 
Um, and it's enough of a gauge then that if a if someone isn't doing okay, then you can have a follow-up conversation with that individual and just check in. You had to put formal things in place because it wasn't easy to have those informal catch-ups. And for some leaders, that came really naturally that, you know, just ask people how they are and check in with them. And for others, of course, not so much. So we actually put in place training for everyone that's got line manager responsibility to be able to have a really good how are you conversation and structured that so that everyone felt able to check in with their teams. And then, of course, we really looked as an organisation of if people weren't having a great time, how did we support them and made sure all colleagues understood how they helped someone else to find support. Um, so those were a few things that we did. That empathy and understanding, um, I can attest to in uh, my work environment that was it's not like we weren't empathetic before but um, there was more time and consideration given to a simple question like how are you and uh, if there's been a legacy then um, then then that's a positive one so let's uh, fast forward to today Uh, you took on from a marketing perspective as we discussed a lot in a short space of time and in the most trying of circumstances what impact has as as, as that had in terms of uh, effectiveness? What can you share with us? Well, I think, as Katie said, I think that it works on a number of different levels. The first is by having this clear purpose of creating the moments that make life richer. That's something that's really started to pervade the business. And it's really great to see that. So people have this sort of understanding of kind of why we all get out of bed in the morning and what we're for. Um, and so that start, you know, you start to see that even in like investor packs you know you start to see that language coming through so i think that's a sort of maybe a slightly more intangible benefit but i think having that clear purpose for everyone in the business is really important when it comes to then you know some of the more specific aspects of marketing what we see is that in terms of our awareness and our consideration and our preference which obviously we track on a frequent basis across the markets they've held up really well over over covid so i think in every market we're ahead on awareness on, on versus every other brand you know so you get those sort of clear brand metric um, benefits of having this but then also we've we've really looked at our brand identity as well i think our brand identity was last refreshed in 2017 when thompson um, um, became tui you know 2017 is not that long ago but a hell of a lot moves on in the marketing world particularly in the digital sphere uh, since that time so we did a bit of a root and branch look at the brand identity to make sure it was fit for the digital world in which we now live obviously it wasn't a, wasn't a start again it was sort of taking the best as- aspects of what we already had um, but it feels that that's really made a difference as well and of course it, we all live in, in big organizations where you see a lot of powerpoint but even, even things like powerpoint starts to make a difference when you can see this refreshed brand identity on a daily basis so it does feel like a sort of reinvigorated brand coming out of the back of the pandemic so um so, yeah, so I think, um, you know, a hell of a lot of benefits and um, winning things like marketing team of the year is almost like the icing on the cake is sort of a it's a, it's a great um, accolade for the team uh, for all the work that they've put in over the last two years. And Katie, in terms of team leadership, if there's one thing that you do now that you didn't before uh, that that you would advise other people to try because it's worked, what would that be? I genuinely think the piece around um I think we I think I did this before, but I think COVID really helped me to tell stories. Like it became really, really essential to describe a future for everybody, which was really tangible. Of course, as a leader, you do that already, but it became even more important when everyone was so focused in the here and now. 
And of course, it's easy to then go back to the here and now and get into the here and now. So I think this piece around really having a North Star and really getting good at explaining to everyone their role in delivering that is is something which I think I've become much better at through the pandemic and will be something which I carry on with. Um, and I secondly think this kind of check-in piece and a, and um, a focus on well-being is something which I will continue with and which the team will continue with because it's getting harder and harder, isn't it, to retain people. We've got um, across every organisation, um, retaining talent is key. And I think creating an environment where people really feel motivated and also cared for is is super important. So I think the piece around developing out our wellbeing strategy is is something else that'll be a key focus. And Toby, let me flip that. Is there anything that you did before, just out of habit, that you thought that you've learned is just um, superfluous or uh, are not not productive? Yes, <laughs> and you, and you have to sort of check in on yourself on this probably on a quite frequent basis because. If you're not careful, the sort of the diary can go out of control. And but, uh, you know, you need to make sure that you're protecting the things that are genuinely important. Sometimes it is those things which, um, you know, are not necessarily task based. So kind of as Kate has been talking about these check ins that we do is really trying to make sure we protect those. So I think um, maybe sometimes it's sort of going a bit slower to go a bit faster is, is, a, is a good sort of way of thinking about it, because if you're not looking after people, then yes, you might be sort of paying more attention and getting more work done today. But actually, if you're then burning people out and and um, and they're sort of falling over tomorrow, then then it's, it's sort of the, the equation doesn't stack up. I think the other thing that I've found, I've tried to get better at, is a sort of just a transparency about life. So I think maybe in the past, I might, you know, sort of, you know, snuck in a, a haircut or something at, at midday. I might say, oh yeah, I've got a meeting. Nowadays, I say, I'm going for a haircut. Uh, or I'm going to, I'm going to the gym uh, because actually I'm I'm a better person when I've been to the gym or, or you know gone out for a walk for half an hour and I think rather than trying to sort of hide that stuff is be transparent about it because I think that just demonstrates that other people have permission to do that you know permission to go out and have a walk permission to go and get a haircut if it's the only time you can fit it in I think that sets a really good example for the business that you know we are all human beings and we all have lives and that we're all trying to balance these things. And I think that just sort of, you know, hopefully sets a good example of how how um, how we are expected to behave. Yeah. I just want to interject at this point and say I'm really pleased that Toby didn't say that he becomes a better person when he's got a haircut because I think <laughs> that's, left, that's left for the rest of us. To well, just <laughs> going to get out of control. We all feel more able to face the world when we're feeling good about ourselves. But the message I'm taking from that is not be open. More not to be more open about haircuts per se, but be a bit more transparent uh, and uh, and open and uh, understanding of uh, that people are not just professionals; they are they have a personal life to straddle as well. So uh, that's a a good, positive, uplifting uh, piece of advice nugget, if you like, uh, to uh, for everybody to take away uh, with them. Uh, but also from a marketing perspective, uh, your story of pressing on despite the challenges to thrive and press forward as opposed to battening down the hatches and uh, and just getting by uh, should be food for thought for everybody listening. So thank you, Toby. Thank you, uh, Katie, for sharing your story of the last couple of years. 
Until next time on This Much I Learned, goodbye.